You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Merry run up to Christmas, everyone. Have you started your Christmas shopping yet? Have you finished? I finished buying all my presents a few days ago. I'll just have to buy presents for everyone else. Got most of mine on Black Friday. Talking of which, the film club film is Black Friday at the moment, starring Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff. A great movie. One of the ones I talked about during A Universe of Horrors. The one, in fact, where Bela Lugosi's character gets killed by being locked in a cupboard. Let me out! I tell you where the money is. I hid it. I hid it. It's in the oven, Red. It's in the oven. Let me out! I tell you where the money is. I assume he starves to death because the airtight cupboard wasn't really ever a thing, was it? So basically, he must have been on the brink of starvation when he got locked in because he snuffs it pretty quickly in the old kitchen cupboard. That's right, he starves to death in a kitchen cupboard. Not the brightest bauble on the tree, was he? Anyway, go and check it out. It'll only be there for a few more days. Talking of Lugosi, a warm response to the Lugosi challenge taken up by Mark Stott last week. I was trying to think of other uses for that line of dialogue. The most obvious one would be if a Trappist monk stubbed his toe and said a naughty word, thereby breaking his vow of silence. You have failed, monk. Or you could have it at the ready whilst watching the monk-tastic film The Name of the Rose. You overestimate his talents, my lord Abbot. You have Failed monk. Leave this place at once. Failed monk. My dear Agile, we must not allow ourselves to be influenced by irrational rumors of the Antichrist. Failed, failed, failed. He did not write with his tongue, I presume. You have failed, failed monk. I don't know about you, but I do love an overabundance of happy piano in my advertisements. Say, want a brand new breakfast idea? Then get the Betty Crocker cereal tray, the Betty Crocker cereal tray. Yes, indeed. Try the brand new cereal assortment with ten individual packages in all. Four Wheaties, four Cheerios, two Kicks. All top favorites and all extra fresh. Yes, it's fun to take your pick from Wheaties, Cheerios, and Kicks. Get the Betty Crocker cereal tray, the Betty Crocker cereal tray. Get the... Heavens. Sorry about that. There's a common phrase that's being kicked around in your house and mine more and more every day. Get off me, Adam. I'm tired. And that is high cost of living. That, too. Sound familiar? I'll bet it does. I'm sure you've heard Mother and Dad mention it more often than once. And you will undoubtedly hear it many more times as the days go by. Now, just in case you're hazy on exactly what it means, let me give you a rough idea. It means that the cost of your clothes and food has gone up to a point where the family budget has become somewhat strained. Ugh. I know exactly what he means. There's definitely a high cost of living in my house. Well, that's one of those things. And you can't be expected to increase the family income. But there are some things you can do to help. Please 
tell my children what they can do to reduce the high cost of living. For instance, take better care of your clothes. When you come home from school, change into old clothes before you go out to play. Eat your Moroccan spiced hummus with a teaspoon instead of a dessert spoon. Take care of your health because doctors and medicines are expensive. Take no more than two baths in ass's milk every day. Eat well, but don't waste. Take your full share, but eat all you take. If you must whip the servants, do so with a used riding crop. New riding crops are expensive. Try not to ask mother and dad to buy you things you don't actually need. Make the best of the most of what you've got. When looking for something to slosh onto your breakfast cereal, do remember that a 1987 Henri Jaillard Richbourg Grand Cru tastes remarkably similar to a 1956 Romanet Conti Grand Cru, and yet in some cases costs around £4,000 less. Try to be more than usually careful of your school equipment, such as paper, pencils and so forth. Make them last and go as far as you possibly can. And remember that while you may consider Elizabeth Taylor's jewellery collection suitable only for skimming across the surface of our 16-square-mile lagoon, others may be more attached to such an expensive part of history. Remember that all members of a family must pull together at a time like this. So do your share. Oh, two cracking films to tell you about today. The first one is called Phantom Lady from 1944, directed by Robert Siodmak and starring Francho Tone, Ella Raines, and Alan Curtis. This was based on a novel by Cornell Woolrich, who wrote the stories behind some of the best movies of the 40s. I told you in an earlier episode about The Leopard Man and Night Has a Thousand Eyes, which were both based on Woolrich stories. He also wrote It Had to Be Murder, which was turned into Rear Window by Alfred Hitchcock. So you know you're in good hands here. This is the story of Scott Henderson, who has a fight with his wife and storms out to a bar where, feeling rather bruised by his evening, picks up a mysterious lady who agrees to go with Scott to the theatre on the condition that they remain anonymous to each other. Well, here we are. You've been very kind. Goodbye. Why can't I buy you a nightcap? I'd rather you didn't come in. I must confess, I'd like to know who you are. No. It's better this way. After leaving his mysterious companion at the end of the evening, Scott returns home only to be greeted by the police who are attending the murdered corpse of his wife, who's been strangled in the past few hours. Unfortunately for Scott, he's prime suspect, but the only alibi he has is the mysterious lady with no name that he doesn't seem able to track down. Funny, you can remember the bar, but you can't remember what the woman was like. We've been over that hundreds of times. Well, leave me alone, I'm tired. Oh, you're tired, eh? Don't you realize that this can end up in an awful long rest cure for you, unless you... I've told you, you're wasting your time trying to pin this on me. Yeah, sure. Remarkable, though. I was with a woman, and you don't know who she is or what she looked like. I've told you. She was about 30. She had sort of brown hair, and she wore a funny hat. That's all I can remember. If you'd asked me sooner, last night before all this, I could have told you more about her, but now she's... It's a complete blank. To make matters worse, though, everyone that Scott and his companion encountered that evening suddenly has a case of amnesia. Step forward Scott's secretary, Carol Richman, played by Ella Raines, who's been in love with Scott for years and who's determined to see him set free. Teaming up with a doubting police inspector, she begins to investigate the evening's events for herself, descending into the city's lowlands to discover the truth hidden beneath the murk. They sent you. Somebody's after me. You made me believe you like me. I do. Yeah, I do, Cliff. Do 
Don't you remember? I was sitting in your lap. I was kissing you. You made me believe you liked me. What? Wait. Wait until I get you. It has to be said, this is actually one of the more disorientating noir thrillers of the 40s. Firstly, the cast list is very misleading. Francho Tone, who heads the bill, isn't seen until very late in the film, which, if you're a fan of telling a film's fortune by studying its credits, is very confusing. Alan Curtis is kind of the star until the halfway mark, and then he disappears and Ella Raines takes over. By the way, Ella Raines is quite possibly one of the most beautiful women to have ever appeared on any screen in the history of anything. She's so beautiful that you may find yourself communicating with blank grunts and raised eyebrows for a few hours after the film's finished. The imagery in this film is very dark almost nightmarish. There's a scene in a jazz club at 40 minutes in that could almost push the film into the horror genre. It's extremely powerful stuff and proves Robert Zjodmak to be a remarkably inventive director. Plot-wise, it's constructed as tightly as a Chinese puzzle box. Everything fits perfectly. Who is the mysterious woman who seems to have vanished? Why did she want to be anonymous? Why can't anyone remember her? And the fact that the lead actor doesn't turn out to be the lead actor in the end is actually rather satisfying and a little disorientating. Anyway, a cracking little mystery noir with a great concept. Search it out, you won't be disappointed. Second film, Oh God, where to start on this? For anyone who follows me on Twitter or who's liked the Facebook page, you'll know I'm a rather huge admirer of Jean Tierney. I seem to be talking about her all the time at the moment. She was the star of the film I told you about last week, Laura, yeah, where she starred alongside Clifton Webb. Well, for someone who was obviously being groomed as a starlet, she was remarkably adept at escaping the pretty face stereotype. She played a bandit in Belle Star, a Polynesian island girl in Son of Fury, as the world's coolest wife in uh, Ernst Lubitsch's magnificent comedy Heaven Can Wait. Must make that movie a pick to tell you about in the very near future. An absolutely wonderful film that's capable of hurling you between tears and laughter at the drop of a hat. Anyway, my point is that Jean Tierney was one of Hollywood's most versatile actresses. But not just that, she was also one of the most naturally gifted and most unafraid screen actors during the golden age. If you want to know how brave she was with her choices, consider as proof the next film I want to tell you about. Now, there had been some bad women in Hollywood movies. You had Betty Davis playing her suitors off against each other in Jezebel, Mary Astor murdering detectives and detectives' hearts in The Maltese Falcon, Scarlett O'Hara, of course, uh, Margaret Lockwood as ye olde England's most malevolent highway woman in The Wicked Lady. God, I need to tell you about that one too. Making a list right here, people. But they were all pretenders to the throne because in 1945, Jean Tierney starred as Ellen Berendt in Leave Her to Heaven. Starts off quite gently. A writer called Richard Harland, played by Cornell Wilde, meets Ellen Berendt on a train and discovers that they're journeying to the same place, a remote little settlement. And over the following days, they fall in love and decide to get married. Oh, I'm sorry. I was staring at you, wasn't I? I didn't mean to, really. It's only because 
because you look so much like my father. When he was younger, of course, your age. A most remarkable resemblance. For a moment, I thought... Do forgive me. Well, to tell you the truth, I was doing quite a bit of staring myself. And I assure you, it's not because you look like my mother. So far, so conventional. But as time passes, Richard begins to notice cracks in his wife's perfect veneer. Even her family are intent on cryptically warning Richard about Ellen's problems when it comes to relationships. There's nothing wrong with Ellen. It's just that she loves too much. Perhaps that isn't good. It makes outsiders of everyone else, but she can't help it. You must be patient with her. She loved her father too much. Ellen, it seems, is a little pathological when it comes to the men in her life. It soon transpires that she was obsessively attached to her own recently deceased father. Now, she's determined to have Richard all to herself and she'll go to some extraordinary lengths to make that happen. I have no intention of hiring a cook or a housekeeper or any other servants. You mean for the present? Ever. Idiot. I don't want anybody else but me to do anything for you. I want to keep your house and wash your clothes and cook your food. A born slaving. Besides, I don't want anybody else in the house but us. Ever? Ever. She begins by murdering Richard's disabled little brother at a lake because she feels that he's taking up too much of Richard's time. In the aftermath of the death, Richard is comforted by Ellen's family, particularly her sister, Ruth, who, of course, suspects that she may have had something to do with it. When Ellen begins to suspect Richard and Ruth of having a closer-than-platonic relationship, she allows herself to become pregnant in the hope that it'll solidify their marriage. But when she begins to bore of the physical strain of being pregnant, she murders her unborn child by throwing herself down a flight of stairs. Look at me. I hate the little beast. I wish it would die. As she's recuperating, Richard begins to put the pieces together and accuses Ellen of murdering his brother and his unborn child. Well, when she confesses the truth to him, along with the fact that she'd happily do it again in order to keep him, he leaves her in disgust. However, such is Ellen's obsession with having complete ownership of Richard, and fearing that he'll now fall into the arms of her sister, Ellen kills herself, carefully framing the death to seem as though her sister has murdered her. If you think the brief synopsis I've just given you makes the film seem like a sordid little affair, then you have no idea. This is a superb example of clammy, claustrophobic filmmaking during the Golden Age, and it's one of the bravest films to have been made during the 40s. Where else would you see an up-and-coming starlet playing a pathologically obsessed lunatic who murders a disabled boy and an unborn child in glorious technicolor. This was so radically ahead of its time, especially for the movies. You had these kind of stories in pulp fiction of the time, in the work of uh, James N. Kane and Jim Thompson, really hardcore stuff, but it was always watered down when it was adapted for the screen. Leave Her to Heaven was based on a book by Ben Ames Williams, and while it was diluted ever so slightly, it's still quite shocking. 
technically, it's a brilliantly made film. It's directed by John M. Stahl, who I'm ashamed to say I'm not that aware of, other than to say he was a renowned early director in Hollywood and was born in Azerbaijan. He definitely has a distinct style. He seems very happy to let the camera linger on a scene, and he comes up with some startling imagery. Especially early on in the film, there's a scene in which Jean Tierney is riding a horse and scattering her father's ashes that's almost ghostly to watch. Also, the horrifying scene where she murders Richard's brother at the lake is brilliantly shot. When it comes to performances, you have Gene Crane as Ruth, perfectly played. Cornell Wilde as Richard also is great. I haven't been his biggest fan overall, but he's perfect for this. He almost looks a little too young, but it wouldn't have worked so well if he'd been too hard-bitten. The fact that this very young-looking guy has found love with such a staggeringly beautiful woman makes you instantly feel as though the balance of power should be in her favor, which makes it all the more shocking when all the madness arrives. Crowning the movie, though, of course, is the awe-inspiring performance of Gene Tierney, who, once you've watched it, will remain in your mind as one of cinema's great villains. She's so captivatingly beautiful and so perfectly insane. It's a really bewitching blend of sexuality and danger. She's so cunning and so evil and so utterly batshit crazy, and yet all she wants is to be loved. I remember when Fatal Attraction came out and people were so shocked by it, but it was being done 40 years before that. You want a second opinion? Martin Scorsese calls it one of his favorite films of all time. It's definitely in my list too. You want to be shocked by, of all things, a Technicolor film noir? Then rack it up for yourselves and see just how unsafe old movies could be at times. Radio, 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 then. Well, staying on the theme of Wicked Ladies, I want to show you an episode of Suspense that I've listened to most often. In actual fact, it's one of the very first episodes of Vintage Radio that I ever listened to. It was on a cassette compilation of four episodes that I bought about 20 years ago for a pittance, and I was so taken with it that I sought out more. And now, here we are. This episode stars the mind-bendingly wonderful Barbara Stanwyck, as bad girl Ruby Miller in The Wages of Sin. See you on the other side. Autolite and its 96,000 dealers present Suspense. Tonight, Autolite brings you The Wages of Sin, a suspense play starring Miss Barbara Stanwyck as Ruby Miller. Dork? Yeah, Ruby Miller. Pretty good picture of her. Well, this is her apartment. She's had it for two months. What was he doing here? I don't know. He was dating when we got here. Shot within the hour. Hello, Captain. We've been working hard. Hello, Frank. Who is he? Driver's license says his name's David Madlock, age 42, this city. Yeah, it is Madlock. Hard to recognize him with that kind of shooting. Keep going, Frank. Desk clerk Frank DeMarco saw Madlock come through lobby about 9 o'clock, alone. He got it here a few minutes later. What was Madlock doing here? Don't know. DeMarco and the day clerk say they never saw him in building before. Mm-hmm. Who reported it? Janitor. Heard the shots. Called downtown. Saw nothing. Madlock's got a wife. I sent the boys out to pick her up. Okay. Doc tells me this is Ruby Miller's apartment. That's right. She rented it two months ago. Haven't located her yet. <laughs> now the tabloids are going to make this look juicy. David Madlock slain in Beauty's apartment. If I know those tabloids we got in this town, that'll be tame. All right, let's find her and get her story. I want an all-points bulletin out for Ruby Miller right away. 
She finally got herself messed up in something too big to handle. In just a moment, Miss Barbara Stanwyck in the first act of The Wages of Sin. What's going on, Milo? Why, it's tune-up time, Hap. Huh? For what? Your car. Get it tuned up before winter weather wages war on your engine. Winterize it by putting in antifreeze, change of oil and grease. And check the spark plugs, too. Ah, realistic reminder, Johnny Plug Jack, because spark plugs are the very heart of your car's ignition system. You mean spark plugs need winterizing, too? Why, they sure do, Hap, and that's why it'll pay you to see your friendly Autolite spark plug dealer. He'll replace weary, worn, and wilted spark plugs with world-famous ignition-engineered Autolite spark plugs. They're engineered by the same Autolite engineers who design coils, distributors, and all the other important parts of the ignition system used as original factory equipment on many leading makes of America's finest cars. That's why Autolite spark plugs operate as a perfect team with your car's ignition system. And that's why you can't buy better spark plugs for your car than Autolite. Okay, Harlow, I'll have my car winterized. And check the spark plugs, too! Right. So, folks, see your friendly Autolite spark plug dealer. And whether you choose the standard type or the resistor type, you can be sure you're always right with Autolite. And now, with the wages of sin and the performance of Miss Barbara Stanwyck as Ruby Miller, Autolite hopes once again to keep you in suspense. I don't care who you are. Nobody gets in. This is my apartment, Pinhead. Hey, what's going on out here, Sergeant? Who's this? Who are you? Hey, what's the idea of all these cops? You holding crime school in my apartment or something? You're Ruby Miller? Yeah, that's right. Come on in. Nice of you. I was just starting out to look for you. What's going on around here anyhow? I leave for a couple of hours and... Yeah. My rug! His name is uh, Frank Madlock. Interested? What'd he bleed all over my rug for? Come on, sister. The captain wants to see you. Well, I want to see him. What kind of a police force do we have in this town? A lady can't go out for a drink without coming home to find... Get your hands off me. Inside. When I finish my judo course, I'm going to look you up. Hello, Ruby. Oh. I draw all the dreamy ones. I might have known it'd be you. Captain Salvador. That's all, Frank. Yeah, that's all, Frank. Tell me about yourself, Ruby. You losing your hair? It's falling out worrying about you. The last time was 47. No visible means of support. I didn't know we were going to talk about old times or I'd cracked a bottle. We aren't. Going to talk about that guy lying in there in front of your fireplace. Well? They tell me his name is David Madlock. You know that's his name. What's he doing in How there? How should I know? I never saw him my whole life. How long have you been seeing him? What did you fight about Ruby, you've had four arrests and one conviction in your time. You know we always get the answers. Captain Doric Salvador, Caparoo. Huh. Been in the drugstore since 8.30. Fifteen people saw me drinking my malted milk while Junior in there must have been getting his brains blown out. Do they all have names? Every one of them. It was a bowling team on their way home. The loafers. You're telling me that corpse is a man you never saw before in your life? That's exactly what I am telling you. Your crew will find that out by poking into everything and everybody in town. They'll also find my alibi's good and that your guesses are bad. If Madlock, or whatever his name is, staggers into my apartment while I'm out and somebody bumps him off, that's not my fault. And you nor any other single-headed cop is going to write it any different. All right, Ruby, let's go downtown. Well, Doric Dream, you booked me as a material witness as expected. 
After all, you had to take somebody downtown. The newspapers tossed a lot of type around. My picture was in every paper, every edition. But after two days, it died on the vine. I made three inches in the second section after that. Ruby Miller released for lack of evidence. The morning I got out, I'll wait while you blush. I wanted a bath more than anything else. All right, all right, just a minute, I'm coming. Hello, Ruby. I missed you before you left the station. I'm tired of looking at cops, Captain. This will only take a minute. I'll time you myself. Thanks. I, uh, just been out talking to Marie Madlock, Dave Madlock's widow. The way things happened, she still thinks that you and her husband were real palsy on the side. She hates the memory of him now. Don't you ever give up. I don't like to see a nice woman like Mrs. Madlock running around believing something that isn't true. My boys peeked under every rock in town before you were sprung, Ruby. They came up with two things that got you up. You were in the drugstore while Madlock was being killed, and you never knew the guy. I'm convinced of that. My bath water is getting cold. So am I. Look, Ruby, you moved in that apartment two months ago, paid $400 rent in advance. The same day, you deposited $1,000 at Freeman's National. You also bought $400 worth of clothes and trinkets. I hit a horse. Somebody gave you dough to play a part in this. Who? We've gone all through this before. Who, Ruby? A key to this apartment was found on Madlock's body. How'd he get that key? I don't know, Captain. I just don't know. I should have my lock changed. All right, Ruby, I'm leaving. Sorry you didn't have any luck, Captain. You know, whatever you get out of this, they'll take 20 times as much back from you, right down to your soul. Madlock's killing was top-drawer stuff with some big people involved, people who don't care anything about you because you were just background scenery they might want to change at any time. Aren't you scared, Ruby? <laughs> You'll never see the day. Okay. Grandissimo Bugliardo. What does that mean? You're a liar, Ruby. Where did you get off thinking I was scared? What was there to be scared about? I held three aces in the deck and that was enough. At least to make a starting bid. When I looked out my window that night and saw two men in overcoats standing across the street from the apartment... I felt extra brave. I wasn't worried one bit. Hello? Ruby Miller? Yes. What are you still doing in town? I'm waiting for a phone call, but it's not from you. You're asking for a doll. I'll be over. Well, say hello to the two cops standing in front of my apartment house. Salvador's got them on me 24 hours a day. Play it smart, doll. Get out of town while you got legs to walk on. Listen, you thick-lipped creep. I want to talk to him, the big man, right away. And if I don't, I'll talk to the cops. I just said how you better act, doll. Sorry to disappoint you again, Doris, but I wasn't scared that time either. A spook call was always standard operating procedure for those kind of people. It let me down a little, though, having them think I was so square I wasn't expecting it. When I went to bed that night, I was dreaming of a new kind of life. And it started the next day with bells. Hello? Miss Miller? My name is Victor Sheridan. I'm the attorney for the big man. And that's as close as you're going to get. Take it or leave it. My offices are in the equity building, suite 203. Uh, I'll expect you any time today. That 
was the music I was waiting for, Doric. I'll expect you any time. And I made any time an hour later. Salvador's two shadows followed me when I left my apartment and went downtown. So I wasn't worried that anybody might interrupt my conversation with Sheridan and Carter, attorneys at law. Uh, call me Sheridan. Sure. My uh, client asked me to speak to you. Speak up. All right. My client has been disturbed by your attitude. Good for him. He wonders why you haven't fulfilled your part of the bargain. After all, you've been well paid. You call that money? A man I never saw before in my life came to me a couple of months ago and made the deal. $1,500. Two months' rent on a nice apartment, and on a certain night I was to blow town, never come back. You should have done it. I saw a setup a mile off. How dumb do you think I am? That is not the question, Miss Miller. How dumb do you think we are? Dumb enough to know he needed a place to do a killing and someone with a rep like mine to throw the cops off. I know who he is, where he is, how he did it, and why he did it. Tell the client I want a payoff to keep quiet. Lots of payoff. Or I can tell a whole lot of cops something that will keep them absolutely spellbound. I see. Well? Will uh, this be enough to start with, Miss Miller? A thousand dollars... Look, Sonny, this is the major leagues. I want ten to start with. I haven't had much money in the office. You can get it. There's a bank downstairs. <laughs> You're playing a very dangerous game, Miss Miller. I've got built-in police protection at all times. All you have to worry about is coming through. That uh, protection may not last forever. Let me worry about that. Miss Miller, it's not up to me to decide the outcome of this affair, but... Somewhere, someplace, sometime, you'll be alone on a dark street. And I wouldn't want to say what might happen to you. Well, don't you worry, Buster. I'm going to be burning money to keep all those dark streets bright. Now call the bank. Autolite is bringing you Miss Barbara Stanwyck in The Wages of Sin. Tonight's production in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Check the spark plugs, too! Check the spark plugs, too! Hey, that Johnny plug check's persistent, isn't he? Sure, Hap. Johnny knows it's necessary now to get your car made ready for dependable motoring during the cold days ahead. Check the spark plugs, too! You see, spark plugs are the very heart of the car's ignition system. When they're right, your chances of starting, even in the coldest weather, are better than ever. So it'll pay you to replace worn-out spark plugs with Autolite spark plugs. The spark plugs that are world famous for quality and dependability. Autolite spark plugs? Nothing finer, Hap, than when you replace worn-out spark plugs with ignition-engineered Autolite spark plugs, you get smoother performance, quick starts, and gas savings. You've sold me, Harlow. Well, folks, see your friendly Autolite spark plug dealer and have him replace worn-out spark plugs with world-famous ignition-engineered Autolite spark plugs. And whether you choose the resistor type or the standard type, you can be sure money can't buy better spark plugs. You're always right with Autolite. And now Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Miss Barbara Stanwyck in Elliot Lewis's production of The Wages of Sin, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. I think those next few months weren't great, Captain Salvador. 
They were the last days of Pompeii with Christmas and a Polish wedding thrown in. I picked up my checks regularly from Victor Sheridan, and I spent them regularly on Ruby Miller. I never could understand why the two men you always had shadowing me didn't pick up Victor Sheridan. But why look a gift horse in the mouth? I was busy enough being the belle of the boulevard, the girl most likely to succeed. Clothes? All over the place. Money? Any place there were in clothes. Nightclubs? I was a bigger attraction than the chorus girl. Men? <laughs> like flies in a sugar bowl. And don't think I ever got tired of it. Why, I even got tapped by the 400. Of course, I was sort of a late starter, but so were Broker's Tip and the Yankees. Let's see. There was Douglas Elwood Tisdale, who had the mink ranches. Clayton Dashiell, who made governors. Hamilton Moore, who was in shipping and polo. And Talbot G. Cooper, whose taste ran to women. Ruby, I've known girls from Bombay to... Well, don't tell me about them. I hear Kinsey's in town. No. No, what I was going to say was that you're the most exciting of them all. Oh, Coop, squash head. I don't come from Bombay or Hunter, so I don't have to follow the rules. Go get yourself some new material. No, no, I, I mean it. Oh, if I were conning you, I'd do it in another place. Not here. Oh, cut it off. I came here for laughs. Say, uh, no. who are those two people over by the window? Don't you know? Really? Look stupid. Didn't you ever read anything but Noel Coward? If I knew who they were, I wouldn't have asked. Well, come on. I'll introduce you. The, um, the distinguished-looking man lives on an inheritance, and the distinguished-looking woman lives on, um, well, memories, I guess. Hello, Coop. Nice to see you. Well, hello, Clint. Marie. May I present Miss Ruby Miller, Mr. Clinton Fisher. My pleasure. How do you do, Mr. Fisher? And Mrs. David Madlock. Talk about your drama. That moment could have run 36 straight weeks at the Barrymore Theater. As you know, Captain, it was my first performance at trying to carry on idle chit-chat with the widow of a man found dead in my apartment. Must have been her first, too, because she excused herself and walked quickly away. The guy who staged the scene, Cooper the Coward, also took a powder. By natural selection, I guess we're left alone, Miss Miller. What's she complaining about? I wasn't found dead in his apartment. Well, you couldn't exactly expect her to carry on tea-time conversation with you. Look, uh, is she a friend of yours? I uh, know her. Well, tell her the next husband she gets, keep him home. That means keeping him happy, if she isn't too chilled to find time. Now, if you'll excuse me, Mr. Fisher, I'll go have a drink. Allow me to join you, Miss Miller. Why? Frankly, I like you. If anybody tells you men over 50 don't have charm put salt in her coffee. Clint Fisher was as charming as they made them. And the thought came to me that this was my chance to move from the phony money to the real stuff. And he was said to have more connections than the plumbing at the Waldorf. I intended someday to use them. And my chance came sooner than I thought. Yes, ma'am. Captain Dorick Salvador wants to see me. You mean Lieutenant Salvador. He got a bust. Good. He was too arrogant. Third door on the left, lady. Don't look so mad, Sergeant. Maybe if you work hard, you'll be busted, too, someday. Hello, Lieutenant. Yeah. Sit down. <laughs> what did you do, kick the mayor's mother? No, the commissioner got a little mad because I didn't bring anybody in for David Madlock. What did you call me down here for, awake? The commissioner's dropping the case. What do you mean? He called us off. Madlock will be under M in the file. I'll be on another case. Yeah, but that means uh -huh. that I... 
Starting tomorrow, where you go, you go alone. What is this? You're pulling off my protection? Ruby, we had those men on you to see if anybody made a move towards you, not for protection. I got a right to protect you. You forfeited every right you had when you threw in with the wrong people. In my opinion, Ruby, you sold your soul for a fur muff and a filet mignon. Don't talk to me like that, you lousy failure. Shut up! I played your game long enough. This is the end. I, you don't even know what I'm talking about. You'll never know. All dames like you got is your sex. You wouldn't know a good piece of music if you heard it. You never read anything longer than a menu in your life. You couldn't tell me two intelligent things about the history of the people you came from or the name of the man who wrote the Declaration of Independence. All you got is a 75-word vocabulary and 112 pounds of flesh that could have been put to better use in an animal. You listen to me, flathead. Where do you get off telling me how worthless I am? Just because I went out and made myself a few bucks the hard way? Well, I took nerve and I've got it. It didn't take any to sit behind that desk and get demoted from captain to lieutenant. You picked your way of life yourself, and because everybody isn't like you, you can't stomach them. Your kind doesn't send your sons to college so they'll know a good piece of music when they hear it. You send them to learn how to make money. And you don't dress your daughters in the best clothes you can buy because they know who wrote the Constitution. You do it so they'll marry into money. You're cheaper on your level than I am on mine because you lie about what you really want, and I don't. I'm honest. I say what I want right out, and I get it. Are you through? No. Why did the commissioner call off the case? It was costing too much. I can smell a fix 20 miles off. You're going to set me up for a kill. I'm not setting you up for anything. They called me off the case. That's all I know. Yeah? Well, if the commission has been fixed, it can be unfixed. I know some pretty big people now. I hope they can help you. They will. They will. Don't worry. I'll have my protection back. And while I'm at it, I think I'll have you busted down to sergeant. And I couldn't wait to do it to you. Clint Fisher was my boy. By then I had him wrapped around my little finger. He knew the skeleton in everybody's closet and I was going to make him rattle a few. I pulled out all the stops and he had my hero printed all over him when he said he'd see what he could do. You cops who thought you had a corner on everything fracture me. I slipped on a negligee and cracked a bottle of champagne. And while I waited for my team to go into action... Hello? Clint Fisher, Ruby. Oh, Clint, darling. Oh, it's so nice to hear your voice. And it's nice to hear yours, Ruby. Are you all right? Oh, yes, of course. Don't worry about me. Well, uh, Ruby... Uh, everything's going to be fixed, Clint? Not exactly. That's why I called you. I've tried everybody in town, and I hate to say this, but there's nothing I can do for you. Absolutely nothing. Clint, you don't mean that. I'm afraid, honey, you're on your own. Don't tell me about men. I know more ways they can be cheap and lying, two-faced and vicious than you can count in a year. Clint Fisher wasn't the only man in the world who could fix things. So I tried the rest of them, up and down the social register and through the moneymen and tycoons, and every one of them chickened out, every one of them. No, Ruby, sorry, Ruby. Try someone else, Ruby. That's all I got. Don't tell me about men. Then I began to get scared. Scared right down through the little veins. I locked the door and pulled the shades and told the desk to let no one visit me. And I sat there all night. I didn't dare sleep. And half the next day, I was scared. But then I remembered. I still had an ace to play. 
Sheridan. Yes. Yes, Ruby. Well, what's the matter with you? Uh, nothing. I, I came to make a deal. A deal, do you hear me? Too late. I won't spill. I'll never say a word. Not a single word to anyone. I'll even get out of town. <laughs> I... What are you laughing about? You. Trying to make a deal. I got the greatest deal in the world. The greatest. You never heard anything like this. Listen. I don't even know who the client is. <laughs> I don't know. I never knew. Never. All I know is some creep I never saw before gave me a couple of thousand bucks to use the apartment for a killing. I don't even know his name. He came and he was gone. That's all I know. Believe me. I... <laughs> Sheridan! Oh. oh! Shot me. Shot me in the stomach. Who? The client. He killed Madlock because he wanted Mrs. Madlock. She found out last night. Committed suicide. He, he went crazy. Thought I told her. But after shooting... I said it was you. <laughs> and you don't even know him. Who is the client, Sheridan? He'll kill me. I've got to tell the police. Tell me, who is he? Oh, don't die. Don't die. Tell me. I ran out of that office as fast as I could make it. I didn't know where to go, what to do. I couldn't end up like Sheridan. I couldn't. I couldn't. Then I, then I decided to go to my apartment get my money and try to get out of town. I ran up the stairs, locked the door, and stood there trying to pull myself together. And I got an idea. Salvador. Captain, listen to me. Listen carefully. Who is it? Ruby, Ruby Miller. Now listen to me. The client's after me. I know he is. The client? The man who killed David Madlock. It's just the way you said. I take everything back I ever said to you. I'm sorry. Really, truly sorry. I suppose you want protection. Oh, yes, yes. Please send somebody. Come yourself. Take care of me. I'm in my apartment. I'm afraid to leave it. Ruby, you're a great girl for deals. We had two men following you and three men following Sheridan. We didn't find out a thing. Tell me who this client is. We'll go out and pick him up. Oh, that's just it. I don't know. Now, I don't know. I really don't. It was all above. They thought I knew, but I didn't. I don't know a thing. I played it for what I could get him at work. Now, you don't expect me to believe You've that. You've got to believe it. You've got to. I don't know who he is or where he's coming from, but I know... I'll be killed. You're lying, Ruby. When you're ready, tell me the truth. I'll give you what you want. Goodbye. Don't hang up. Don't, please. I'll be killed. I tried to get you back, but they said you'd left the office. I wanted to tell you about Vic Sheridan's death. That would have been true. That's why I'm writing you this letter. You'll have to believe. I'm packed and I'm leaving town. And I don't ever want to come back. I'm mailing it from the airport. So long, Doric. I hope you have better luck finding the client than I did. Hello? Are you all right? This is Salvador. Oh, oh yes. We just found Vic Sheridan. I'm sorry, Ruby. Sometimes my personal opinion of people gets in the way of my badge. We'll be over there in a couple of minutes. Oh, thank you, thank you. Oh, who, who is it? Clint Fisher. Let me in. Oh. Oh, Clint. Oh, Clint, I'm so glad you came. Nobody cared. Nobody would do anything. Now, now Ruby, you'll be all Somebody's right. Somebody's after me, Clint. They'll get me. They will. They... Clint. What? What's that gun for? For you, baby. Oh. Oh, Clint, don't. Don't, don't do anything. I'll, I'll scream. That won't help. You can't outrun a bullet. You've had a free ride on me. I was perfectly willing to give you money when it meant something to avoid trouble. 
But now you're going to pay it all back. I'll do anything. Anything in the world. Don't close your eyes because it's going to hurt. Oh, they'll get you, Clint. The police will get yeah, you. I know, but I'll get it quick. You'll get it the hard way. Oh, Clint, please don't. <laughs> Oh, hold, hold me. Hold me up. How does it feel, Ruby? That's what you get for telling Mary Medlock I killed her husband. Mary was the one thing I wanted. I killed to get her, made it as sordid as possible. Girl's apartment and all, so she'd forget even his memory. And after all the dough I paid, you had to tell her. I... I didn't tell her... I didn't even know who... Uh... All right, you stand where you are. With your hands in the air. Come and get... Hey, will you look at that? They're lying on the same spot where Madlock was killed. Yeah. The wages of sin. Excellent stuff. That was Barbara Stanwyck in The Wages of Sin, courtesy of Suspense. So, who has won the Universal Monsters Blu-ray collection? All you had to do was send in a recorded Christmas greeting. Many of you have done so, and I thank you very much for taking the time. You'll be hearing yourselves in the Christmas special, which will be coming in two weeks' time. I put the names of everyone who sent one into a very high-tech computer algorithm that for some reason bleeps and bloops, and will in a moment kick out a random person's name. And the winner is... Andrew Morley. So, Andrew, do email me at adam at attaboyclarence.com with your address, and I'll send this thing off to you. Next week, I'll be talking about the film that gave this podcast its name. That's right, my all-time favourite film, It's a Wonderful Life. So if you're a fellow fan, then tune in next week where I'll be lifting the lid on the behind-the-scenes goings-on at the back of one of the most adored Christmas movies ever made. I'll be going all George Bailey on you and spend some time with Clarence Oddbody, AS2, Angel Second Class himself. Until then, wrap up warm, keep your eye on the sails, and nog yourselves an egg or two. Bye for now. He did not write with his tongue, I presume. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.